Sentire Media. Hello, you. You're listening to A History of Italy. Episode 153, The Assassination of Galeazzo Maria and the Moor Takes Control, 1468-1494. We last left Duke Galeazzo Maria Sforza, having married Bona of Savoy, and then getting rid of the controlling and possibly positive influence of his mother, Bianca Maria Visconti. She had been sent off into a sort of exile and died there shortly after, in 1468. We also saw that the Duke had run an incredibly lavish court, and, along with his continued wars, this meant heavy taxation for the citizens of the duchy. In 1471, as we saw in the Medici episodes, he decided to go and show off his magnificence in Florence with a huge delegation that was filled with nobles, entertainers and all kinds of people. He had ended up being more impressed with the Florence of the Medici than they with him and had started to ask for artists and architects from Lorenzo the Magnificent for Milan. These included a certain... Leonardo da Vinci. While Galeazzo Maria had been preparing for the great delegation, the lovely duke took some time off to go to Bergamo to witness the burning as a witch of a poor woman by the name of Caterina de Pilli from Bergamo, just to let you know what sort of entertainment he enjoyed. We also spoke about Galeazzo Maria's sexual appetite. For example, in 1474, he fell in love with a woman by the name of Lucia Marliani. There was only one little problem. She was already married to a nobleman, Ambrogio Ravetti. This was not actually a problem, as Ambrogio, rather than be annoyed at being a cuckold, saw the business opportunity in it. He was given loads of cash and made podestà, or governor, of Como, and advantageous marriages were found for Lucia's sisters. Lucia herself received loads of presents that included lands such as in Gorgonzola, the location that gives its name to the smelly cheese, which goes great on a pizza or with a plate of gnocchi. As far as many citizens were concerned, the Duke went too far when he gave Lucia titles which had belonged to his mother, Bianca Maria, much loved by the people. Another item to stick in his naughty column. All Lucia Mariani had to do, besides allow the Duke to have his way with her, was to sign a contract in which she undertook not to have carnal relations with anyone except Galeazzo Maria, and that included her husband. Heavy taxation, increasing cruelty, disrespect for the memory of his mother, and an increasing loss of the central importance of the duchy in the affairs of Italy started to make the duke unpopular. This situation also led to a falling out between him and his younger brother, Federico il Moro, who many felt more capable than the duke, 
including Ludovico himself. The more people got annoyed, the higher the risk someone would take action. On the 25th of December, 1476, Galeazzo Maria supposedly witnessed some bad omens. He was away from Milan that day, in the castle of Abbiate Grasso. On that day, a comet appeared and was clearly visible in the sky. That very same day, a fire broke out in the Duke's quarters, and finally, as he made his way back to the city, three crows flew over his head. He spent Christmas with his family, taking time to observe all the brothers and cousins and children and declaring that the dynasty would last for centuries. The next day, St. Stephen's the 26th, the Duke headed to hear Mass at the church of the same saint. As he was entering, a young nobleman, Giovanni Andrea Lampugnano, made as if to clear the way for the Duke. Then suddenly, turned on him, stabbing him in the stomach and the throat. Meanwhile, another man, Girolamo Olgiati, stabbed him in the chest, again in the throat and his head. At the same time, a third attacker, Carlo Visconti, stabbed the duke in the back and shoulder. Galeazzo Maria fell dead. The first attacker, Lampugnano, was in turn attacked by the duke's guard and killed. Olgiati and Visconti managed to escape, hoping to rally the city against the Sforza, with no luck. They were later hunted down and, after a lightning-quick trial, were ripped apart. Galeazzo Maria had reigned for just over ten years. He left a seven-year-old son, Gian Galeazzo, named to help confuse us, with his mother, Bona of Savoy, as regent and she in turn nominated Francesco Sforza and Galeazzo Maria's long-term secretary, Cicco Simonetta, as head of the Regency Council, along with two brothers of the dead duke, Sforza Maria and Ludovico il Moro. The council sprang into action to guarantee a smooth transition, confirming salaries and buying grain to distribute to the populace. It worked and there was no trouble in the duchy. For now. So the duchy was now ruled by a regency council in the name of young duke Gian Galeazzo, headed by Cicco Simonetta and including two uncles. This collaboration did not last long at all. As tensions rose, the first to make a move in 1477 were the Duchess and Simonetta, who had a man close to the Sforza brothers arrested. They, in turn, tried to start a rebellion and took one of the gates of Milan, but then did not receive enough support and were forced to flee into exile. They would then reach an agreement with the Duchess and would be pardoned, but not allowed back into Milan. You will remember that 1478 was the year of the infamous Pazzi Conspiracy, followed by a war between the Pope, Sixtus IV, Naples and Federico da Montefeltro, Duke of Urbino on one side, and Florence with Venice and Milan on the other. At this time, the wily Pope thought to keep Milan out of the picture by bringing in the help of a player I believe we had never mentioned in the podcast before, 
the Swiss Confederation. They sent an army down to besiege Milan, but failed. After that, however, the Milanese made the mistake of giving chase and were defeated, although the Swiss army still headed back home. The following year, 1479, Ludovico il Moro managed to take advantage of a rebellion in the controlled city of Genoa to win a series of victories. Now, he must have read his handbook of the clever rebel because he claimed that he was not rebelling against his nephew the duke, but in the name of the duke against the evil council of Cicco Simonetta. As Ludovico headed to Milan, he managed to use his friendship with a man named Antonio Tassino, a favourite and possibly lover of Duchess Bona of Savoy. Through him, Ludovico managed to convince the Duchess, and she in turn convinced, or really forced, the secretary Simonetta to come to terms with Ludovico Sforza. When he finally accepted, Simonetta told the Duchess that he would lose his head, but she would lose the duchy. It was indeed the case. After over 30 years of loyal service to the Sforza, Cicco Simonetta was rewarded by having his head chopped off. Duchess Bona was allowed to go into exile with her Tassino and Ludovico il Moro took control of the regency of his now nine-year-old nephew. You would imagine at this point a sort of Richard III and Princes in the Tower sort of thing happened. Although young Duke Gian Galeazzo did indeed stay holed up in a section of the palace and was carted out only for public ceremonies, he was quite pleased not to have to worry about the troubles of government and would only succumb to death 15 years later due to a combination of his ill health and his own excesses. Before then, Ludovico had some duchy management to do. 1482 saw the War of Ferrara, or Salt War we spoke about, in which Venice had its eyes on the Duchy of Ferrara of the Este, and everyone lined up in teams which we won't get into again. Venice had started that conflict thanks to the fact that the Sforza was busy with the rebellion of the noble Rossi family in the controlled city of Parma, who rebelled thanks also to financial help from Venice. Milan managed to put it down, and you may remember that Venice also did not get Ferrara. By 1489, it seemed about time Duke Gian Galeazzo got married and produced an heir. So a marriage was organised between him and Isabella of Aragon, daughter of King Alphonse, and Ippolita Sforza, daughter of Francesco, so technically a cousin. The marriage had the most excellent of wedding planners, Leonardo da Vinci. Yes, he did that too. It soon became apparent, however, that the young duke was not doing his job and the new duchess was not yet pregnant. Ludovico summoned his nephew and threatened to shut him in and lock the door until he obtained a result, and all kinds of tricks and tactics were tried. It wasn't really a problem for Ludovico if his nephew wasn't actually interested in women. His brother Tristano was a well-known homosexual and he had just set up his favourite genius, Leonardo da Vinci, with his supposed lover, Gian Giacomo Caprotti, in a nice house in the city. In the end, just as the Pope was considering an annulment, Isabella got pregnant. 
Many thought that she had either come up with something kinky and interesting for the Duke, or that his uncle Ludovico had stepped in to do the deed himself. In any case, little Francesco Sforza was born in 1491. Whether Ludovico il Moro had intervened or not, he did have his own love interest, a woman by the name of Cecilia Gallerani. Il Moro asked Leonardo to paint a picture of his love, so she went off to the artist's studio near Porta Vercellina to pose. When the painting was finished, Ludovico was transfixed by the result. There was the image of his love looking off to her left, with a hairstyle created by the artist, yes, he also did that, holding a little animal, a stoat, also known as an ermine. The Lady with the Ermine was just one of the great works that Leonardo created in the Duchy of the Sforza. Later, while Ludovico was away on campaign with Charles VIII of France, he would receive news of the artist's activities. Another brother, Ascanio Forza, informed him that their genius was involved in creating a painting on the wall of the Dominican convent of Santa Maria delle Grazie, a large work that was to depict the Last Supper of Jesus Christ. The prior was beginning to worry about the delay of the work. It seems that, aside from dozens of other distractions, Leonardo was roaming around the city looking for inspiration for faces for the apostles. For that of Judas in particular, he would roam the rough areas of the city at night and even visit prisons. You know, of course, that this is one of the most famous paintings in the world. But do you know the story behind it? Well, you see, Jesus sent Peter out with a task. He said, Peter, go to the local tavern and book a table for our last supper, for 26. And Peter responded, but my Lord, why 26? There's only 13 of us. To which Jesus answered, we're all going to sit on the same side. As Ludovico il Moro was having the painting done of his lover, he was in discussions for his own marriage with Beatrice d'Este, daughter of the Duke of Ferrara. The lover, Cecilia Gallerani, would be sent away from the city eventually, but the intelligent and cultured young woman didn't do too badly and set up what could be considered one of the early forms of her literary circle, with many of the intellectuals of the day attending to her. Il Moro would eventually develop a sincere love for his wife and not be quite as bad as his brother and father. We have seen that 1492 was an important year for Italy, with the deaths of Lorenzo the Magnificent and Pope Innocent VIII, who was succeeded by Rodrigo Borgia. The following year, the Sforza finally received recognition for their duchy from the Emperor Maximilian, in exchange for Milan's help against King Charles VIII of France, which Maximilian didn't actually end up needing, as he soon reached a truce which would allow the French unopposed entry into Italy the following year, in what would become the start of the Italian Wars. This recognition came just in time for Duke Gian Galeazzo to die in 1494. Upon his death, Ludovico Sforza publicly asked for the Duke's son, Francesco, to be declared Duke. But he also planted some allies among the assembly with another idea, 
Why should he, Ludovico il Moro, not become duke? Things went sort of, who, me, no, I couldn't, well, if you insist. So Ludovico Sforza il Moro, after years of being the power behind the throne, became the power on it. Under him, Milan would reach a moment of great splendour, just as dark days were coming for the duchy and Italy in general. Grazie mille. Thank you very much for listening and stay tuned for the sketch after the credits. Thanks in particular to my wonderful Patreon supporters, starting from the first half of the Margherita Hack and Galileo Galilei level. Alison, Amanda, Anthony, Brian, C. Lane, Cindy, David, Dean, Dominique, Emily, Eric, Federica, Francisco, Gabriel, George, Greg, Gunnar, Ignacio, Il Valentino, Jacob, Jeff M, Jeff S, Jeffrey W, John, Juan Diego, and Julia G. And, of course, let's not forget the tippy-top Maria Montessori and Dante Alighieri level, Paolo, Lisa K, Andrew M, Peter W, David L, Rinat, David C, Oak, J, Sen, David A, Karen, and Peter. Thank you, thank you, one and all. Remember, if you feel so inclined, you can get in touch. Hello at ahistoryofitaly.com or follow us on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram. Once again, thanks very much for listening and until next time, arrivederci. Ah, Leonardo, here you are. I'm really looking forward to seeing your work. Well, I'm sure you'll be very pleased, so without further ado, here you are. Uh, well... What do you think? Are you speechless because you love it? Actually, I mean, on on the plus side, great colour, incredibly vivid. I mean, I feel I could almost reach into the painting and actually... Pick it up, but... But what? It's a painting of a piece of cheese. Isn't that what you asked for? I remember you saying, paint me a portrait of a piece of cheese. No. What I said was, I would like a portrait of my lady Cecilia Gallerani. That doesn't sound a lot like paint me a piece of cheese. No, doesn't at all. So you, you see the problem here. Yes, you need to enunciate better. Quite what I meant. Anyway, okay, so you want Cecilia Gallerani in the painting. I did wonder why she was constantly hanging around my cheese. Come back next week. Very well. One week later. Okay, my genius, what have you got for me this time? 
Well, I'm sure we've got it this time. Madonna Cecilia is definitely in the painting. Good, good, molto bene. Here you go. Uh, where is she? Right there, left-hand corner, widen the elephant. The elephant? Yes, yes, splendid beast. I put you in too. Did you now? Yes, look, there you are, playing cards with the dogs. Dogs playing cards. Yes, well, you... You don't like this one either. You're both in the painting. Perhaps I'm not explaining myself right here. That's for sure. Yes, well, I would like a painting in which I can look at my love when she's not with me to gaze upon her beauty and only her beauty, not that of collected exotic animals and game-playing pets. That sounds rather boring. Well, humour me. Perhaps you could have her holding something to make it a bit more interesting for you. Ooh, like the cheese. Well, maybe not the cheese. Very well. I'll sleep onto it. Come back next week. One week later. So, Da Vinci, I'm almost afraid to ask. Don't worry. One painting of a single woman, no interesting animals, no flying machines. Ah, my lady. It's almost as if she were standing before me. If she didn't have legs, you mean. But you know what I mean. It's it's almost perfect. Almost? Yes, it's just, what is that object she has tucked under her arm? A ball. A ball? But, but it's an oval. Ah, I hoped you'd ask. Mm. I believe that one night I was visited by a mystical vision of the future. Really? Yes. I dreamed of a land far away across the ocean where a new great civilization will rise and create a game with an overball and that they would throw to each other and catch and run with it under their arm and clash like big handsome gladiators. They will call it football. Football? You said they were throwing and catching, presumably with, with their hands? Well, that part wasn't clear to me. It was just a vision, after all. Would many play this game? Millions! And you can choose your group of gladiators with different colours and chant your, su- your support at them, like in the tournament. For example, there will be the eagles of the city of Brotherly Cheese. Ah, here we go with the cheese again. And those who love them will live with bitter disappointment for decades, then have one sweet moment... Then more disappointment, but not as much as the boys of the cows. Will these warriors play in women's clothes? I don't really know. Well then, perhaps instead of this ball of the feet that is of the hands, you could paint an animal or something. Ooh, yes, I can paint a jewel. A small animal, perhaps one that could represent an aspect of her character or or virtues. I know, an ermine, a symbol of purity. Yeah, right, purity. What? Nothing, ermine it is. I don't know who's going to want to stare at some lady with an ermine, but you're the boss. Anyway, okay, so you want Cecilia Gallerani, 
No. Ok, so you want Cecilia Galleria... Gallerani. <laughs> anyway, ok. So you want Cecilia... <laughs> ok. Ok, ok. Jousts. Like in the jousts. Jousts. Like in the jousts. <laughs> jousts. <laughs> you can support and, and <laughs> you can support at them like the in the jousts. Jousts. <laughs> Let's say the tournament. Like. <laughs> Sentire media. Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentiri Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.